Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. Hey folks, CJ Grimm here from Poking Dead Things. It's a hard job doing what we do, and it can get kind of gross. We know that you work hard too, so I'm here to tell you that at the end of a hard day, nothing beats a hot bath and a cold beer. So treat yourself right and head to Twisted Willow Soap Company and indulge in a bath bomb with your favorite six-pack. Remember, the only girly thing about a bath bomb are the sounds you're going to make in excitement. Twisted Willow Soap Company. Body. Mind. Soul. Welcome to Sacred Letters, the 77th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of an unknown 13th century author of the Norwegian rune poem. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr, and that was the weirdest opening we've had. <laughs> Mary Meat, my name is Gwyn, I'm Ode's mother, and that was fucking fantastic. Thank you. Awesome. And, like, gave me the chill. That's, like, the, the language of Mordor coming over here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh, that's Norwegian. That's awesome. <laughs> Pronounced via Old Norse. Well, but, now we know but, where Tolkien got his idea uh-huh. from. But can you read <laughs> yes. that with this voice? Absolutely oh, not. I can't okay. do that voice at all. Oh, my God. That was awesome. <laughs> Seriously. That was beautiful. I loved it. That's the first line. The opening stanza of the Norwegian rune poem. That is gorgeous. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. Housekeeping. Let's start oh, with yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Housekeeping. Yep. We've got keeper of the house. That's me. Yep. yep. We have three new kittens. Hello, kittens. We love you. Greetings, kittens. We have one new cat whose name is M, and I'm not going to attempt the last name. Okay. okay. Well, Fair we enough. love you, cat. Hello, M. Cat M. M. Cat M. Cat M. Cat M. <laughs> And then we have three new hunters. They would be Jax, Gemma Atkinson, and the Pirate Cove. Welcome to all three. We actually have a couple of them in the Discord, I believe. Is that it? That's it. That's that's it for new patrons. That's it for new patrons. And, And of course, we we love all of our patrons. We do. We love our patrons. We thank all our patrons. Not next week. Two weeks from now? Two weeks from now. Mm -hmm. Gwen will not be with us? Yes. Yeah, that's right. we'll be at PantheaCon. Right. So I will be talking about heathenry, and Carl will be a me on that. And asking questions. Yep. The same way we did the episode without car and talked about Hecate and witchcraft. Yep. And while I'm at Pantheacon, I am going to be teaching monikers and metaphorical spaces Mm -hmm. in one of the suites, and I'm going to be on a panel in the Druidry Room, as well as just going around and hopefully taking a couple of classes, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to get to take part in a ritual and get some interviews. She's going to be there at the last Pantheacon. And I might even, there's a possibility I might even get to meet a hunter or two, or a couple of, you know, a couple of our pride listeners right, yeah. have yep. let me know that they might be, be there. there. Yep. Yep. So I'm very excited about that opportunity. So if you are a pride member and you are at PantheaCon, hunt down Gwen. Hunt me down and say hello, because I would love to meet you. I would like to say don't hunt down Gwen. Maybe... <laughs> Search she is not. Out. She is Search not the greatest out. game. Right. Yes. <laughs> Search her out. Don't hunt Seek her down. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, and I'd like for you to come back because you're speaking with us the next weekend. That's right. Because at convocation. Uh-huh, convocation, yep, which we're yep. going to be very, very busy at teaching three classes. Three classes. And Cara's going to be on a panel. We're going to be moderating, moderating another panel. panel. Yep. And hopefully attending some classes. Hopefully attending some. You all will be. I think I have one class that I have to go to. Mm For lack of a better way of saying it, one that I really, really desire to attend. I strongly desire to attend. I really hope you go and enjoy it. Yes, because you you never go to classes. I went to a class last year. 
I only stayed ten minutes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I yeah, one. Say, yeah. That's the cricket sounds. I'm leaving those crickets in. QQ, it's not that I skip class. <laughs> I choose not to go because I feel like I make more connections. He likes networking. Out in the kind of the open atrium. space yeah. atrium yeah. area. area. And that's who I am as a person. Like, mm-hmm. even in high school, I didn't go to class. Yes. I just kind of hung out. That had more <laughs> repercussions than not going to these classes. Well, maybe, yeah, probably in the grand scheme of things. But I did the same thing in college. I hung That's out true. in the stud center, student center. Student and center. that, yeah. again, had more repercussions <laughs> yeah. than not going to these classes. Yes, it did. Yeah, well, because you had to get your GED. Right, yeah, so. high school. And I don't think you got a college degree, did you? No, but that's because oh, I married no shame. your mom. That's true. No shame, no blame. You no, know, no, and I don't have a college degree either, although I did attend classes. <laughs> yes, that's true. Car was and still is a bad boy. That's true, man. <laughs> very true. true. We ha- I had friends who warned me off him. Yes, I they were Car's did. friends. They were Car's friends. Car's friends told Gwen not to date him. And yeah. our mutual friends said the same thing, and I said, yeah. fuck you, not in those terms, <laughs> but, but yeah. internally. Yeah. In your, in your yeah, at the Christian my, college, the fuck you might have been bad. In my heart space. I said, fuck you, because believe it or not, even as a Christian, I've always had a potty mouth. <laughs> Cue the cops theme song. All right. All right so that it for, um, that's, that's it for those things. Yeah. 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 My God, we're going to have a busy February. Yeah. 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 And then the weekend after that, yes, you're right. I will be at a Nordic Fire Festival in Charlotte, right. Michigan. But it will be not in his pagan capacity, nope. but in his mead capacity. That's right. right. In my That's brewery right. capacity. Mm-hmm. But I have to actually dress as a Viking. Yes, That's that. very it's, cool. It's mandatory so, costume. Yeah, it's very mandatory cool. costuming. So, And just as a reminder, because this is our final episode of the month, mm-hmm. we are not doing a review, but we are doing... Our segments. So there yep. will be a Cars Feast table, a Gwyn's Garden Gems, and an Ode Stone Corner in That's this right. episode. That's right. But not necessarily in that order, because nope. it's however the fuck I want to do them. It's whenever That's he right. feels the, the impulse. He, we, he used to have kind of a, a, a system, a system a and about every 15 minutes or so, but that went out the window like I think a year and a half ago. Yeah, it didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah, it didn't last very long. Yeah. Nope, nope. And the not. fact that I can say it happened a year and a half ago is like Wild. blowing my mind. Yeah. This is our 77th episode. I just know. let that sink in. <laughs> I think we're, we're good? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, think we go? Go? I think we can okay, move cool. on. Yeah. We can move on to since you did all that cool Viking <laughs> you want to do it again? Uh, sure. Fe velde frende rogi, foodisk ulfer i skogi. I'm telling you, there's a mortar place that just takes you right there. <laughs> he got it from the north. He did, yes. He got it yeah. from he the north. He got a lot of things from the north. Yep. <laughs> Dwarves, my great-great-grandfather. Yeah, <laughs> the names. <laughs> and if you, too, would like to learn how to pronounce Old Norse things, go to Jackson Crawford, Dr. Jackson Crawford's YouTube channel, because that's where I learned how to do it. <laughs> And for those of you all who have suggested we interview Dr. Jackson Crawford. He's an academic. He's not a pagan. And he probably wouldn't be interested. No, he's he's not. He is gently baffled and benevolently tolerant of uh, <laughs> the modern pagan the Norse community. Yeah. So so like he appreciates that we're interested. In this yeah, historical research. More books. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, other, bother but otherwise, he has no opinions right. about spirituality. Oh my goodness. His academic work, though, it fills a need. Yeah. yeah. And I'm glad that he, even though it baffles him and he doesn't understand right. why he's a sort of a celebrity in the, in right. the pagan world, it's wonderful that he acknowledges that his work is helpful to people. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. kudos to him. We love Cro- academics. Yes. Dr. Yes. Crawford is very cool. Mm-hmm. He's not an academic that's actively hot. 
hostile to paganism. He's mm-hmm. just not interested in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and Finn said Crawford is the man. Crawford yeah. is the man. Yep. Yep. So we have acknowledged Crawford is the man, but do not expect an interview no. with him yep. on this podcast yep. because it just won't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Although we are going to do something interesting, I think, in order to make us more radio-like, oh, for yeah. lack of a better way of saying it. Car comes from radio. Right. So I came from a radio background. I actually have a degree, right. just not a full four-year cer- degree. A certificate? Yeah, it's actually an associate's. Okay. Yep. In broadcast communications. Mm-hmm. I think you got it somewhere else, though, didn't you? Yeah, I got it at Connecticut yeah. School yeah. of Broadcasting. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so I have this broadcasting degree, and I've actually done radio mm-hmm. professionally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Among um, other things. Yep. And so one of the things we do in radio are called rejoiners. And it's basically whenever you're skipping a topic or you're coming out of a commercial break mm-hmm. or something like that, you have somebody say something like, Hey, this is Johnny Blaze from the band Blah Blah Blah, and you're listening to 96.9 The Rock. That kind right. of thing. Yeah. So we're going to start doing that. With our <laughs> pagan friends. With our, our pagan, pagan friends. friends. Yeah. Who are the big name pagans, such as Jason Mankey. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so not, not all BNPs, but... No, no. Uh, we're going to try and get uh, Paul from Arts and Crafts yep. to yep. do one. So here's the deal. If you want to record something right. that sounds like oh, yeah. that... So, hey, this is... QQN, and I love listening uh-huh. to Three Pagans and a Cat. I like send that. Us, send yeah, it send to, it to us. Send it to car at the number three pagansandacat.com, mm-hmm. and Ode will try to work that kind of stuff in. So yep. when doing I will the be, editing. I will be putting them in the edit at my discretion. Yes. I love that idea. And say what you are. So, hey, this is QQN, and I'm a hunter. So, yeah, it should be interesting. If they're not up to quality that, enough that Ode can make them sound great, you'll just get an email back from me going, Fix it. Can you, fix it. Can you, <laughs> can you, can you record this with a higher quality mic or yeah. with less background noise or whatever? Yeah, yep. yeah. Today, we are going to be talking about three different symbolic divinatory systems. Mm-hmm. Two of them derive from alphabets. The witch's runes uh, do not derive from an alphabet, as far as I'm aware. But we're going to be talking about these mostly as divination systems, although I'm also going to talk about the fact that they started as alphabets, because that's That's stuff that interests me. Mm -hmm. Well, why don't you start with the historical stuff? Because I'm sure you actually have historical stuff on both the Futhark and the Ohm. I do have some stuff on the Ohm. See, I knew you would. We always start with the histories. Start start with the boring. (laughs) We'll start with the Elder Futhark, because that's the one I know the best. Our first evidence for the Elder Futhark is in the 2nd century, and it continues to be in use up to the 8th century AD. It's a Germanic or Proto-Germanic alphabet, although that's actually a misnomer, because alphabet refers to alpha, beta, the first two Latin letters. Technically, the Futhark is a Futhark, because Futhark refers to the first letters of the runic letter system. Around the 8th century, it was simplified (laughs) to the 16-character younger Futhark. The elder Futhark is 24 characters. Also, around the 5th century in certain parts of the world expanded into the Anglo-Saxon Futhork, which is between 30 and 34 characters. These expansions and contractions occurred because of changes and shifts in the way the language was spoken. Hmm. So by the 8th century, they were they had contracted some vowel sounds. They had lost some consonants, so they contracted the symbol set to 16 characters because that was all they needed to express the 
the spoken language. Mm-hmm. And in Anglo-Saxon areas, they had adopted sounds from other cultures that they were in contact with. So they created new runes to expand the Elder Futhark to encompass those new sounds so, in the spoken language. So these were spoken languages. They were symbols yes. representative of, well, of how phonemes. They, of phonemes. Yes. Okay. And the Elder Futhark actually has an interesting quality where some of the runes represented more than one phoneme. So some of the Anglo-Saxon Futhark's work was separating out different phonemes into separate runes. Interesting. Early rune use, so use of the Elder Futhark, mm-hmm. was rare. We find it mostly in stone inscriptions, and it is usually either personal names on objects, mm-hmm. or it is encoded or ciphered or riddled inscriptions that because we lack the relevant context, we have a very hard time interpreting. Mm. So the word rune actually means secret. Early Elder Futhar rune use, we think, was exclusive to a very educated class that used them at least partially for mystical purposes mm-hmm. and partially for establishing like land barriers. So like oh, a rune stone would go okay. up or a rune gotcha. pole would go up and, and it would say like a name and that would be And like, that was their land. This is that my, was their territory. Yeah, don't touch yep. this. It's mine. Territory markers. Yeah. Yep. Kind of like a personal signature. Yeah. So the Elder Futhark was used consistently up to the 8th century. Right. At the 8th century, around the time the younger Futhark came into being and mm-hmm. started being used, literacy became more widespread. Soldiers, merchants, anybody who had a need to write down like their transactions mm-hmm. picked up the younger Futhark. It became much more widespread at that time. Business language. Yeah, it became a business language, essentially. Yeah. A, a or a commerce. A commerce language, language yeah. A, a, it was still mostly inscribed in wood or stone, which is why we don't have a lot of written material from that period. Right. They didn't write on paper. That's why the Futhark runes are so angular because they were designed to, to be, be easy to carve into right. Right. materials with like a chisel or a sharp thing or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. From the 8th to like the 12th century, the younger Futhark was very widespread. Around the 11th century was when Christianization started in Scandinavia and Latin alphabets started to be seen alongside runic alphabets mm-hmm. as Latin literacy spread, runic literacy spread at the same time. So they sort of accompanied each other. Mm-hmm. We actually have evidence of, like, churches that had runes carved into the lintels. There was a a 16th century church in Sweden that the parson wrote on the wall in runes. The parson of this parish must know how to read and write runes. Wow. (laughs) I would love to see that. Because that was what the parishioners used. So, you know, they used runes rather than Latin script, so the parson needed to know both. So is there still evidence of this around Scandinavia and various places? There's actually evidence of it even in the United States. There's places in... Well, that's true because the Vikings... There's a thing in Oklahoma, but I know that, like, in Maine, Vermont... Mm -hmm. uh, Uh, Canada. Canada, Yeah, yeah, Canada. Like, Nova Nova Scotia. Scotia. Nova Scotia. There's quite a bit of... There's there's evidence evidence of... Yeah, of Norse presence. Thank you, Erickson, for being one of the earliest. And others for being (laughs) early explorers. Yep. Yep. The runes, the younger Futhark, was being used actively up until the 16th century. We know that. Mm-hmm. But the elder Futhark was widely replaced by the younger Futhark in most places relatively quickly. Understanding of how to write and translate the elder Futhark 
especially the characters that didn't exist in the Younger Futhark, died out. Mm. It was not deciphered again until 1865 mm. by Sophus Bruges, who's a Norwegian scholar who and a philologist. What's his name? Sophus Bruges. Sophus Bruges. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great name. name. So he's a Norwegian philologist, which is a person who studies languages, and he, among other things, strongly criticizes the the prose Edda as having Christianized influences. And he collected Norwegian folk tales oh, how cool. and things like that, and folk songs and folk traditions. That was sort of his area of interest. But he also rediscovered the transliterations for the, the Elder, Elder Futhark, Futhark so that we can understand it today. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's beautiful. So the work of I mean, Sophus Bruges very important to the philologist Sophus Bruges. I mean, when you when you think of it, <laughs> it's freaking amazing. Because yeah. when you think of how many languages have been lost yep. because there haven't been people like this who have worked so diligently to try to preserve something that's so ancient. Yeah. I mean, we've lost so many ancient languages as a result. So yeah. I'm glad he was well, and whatever you called him a philologist. A philologist Sophus Bruges. And part of the reason he was able to do that work is that there was a tradition of writing rune poems mm, like the like one I the recited one at the beginning. The Norwegian rune poem is for the younger Futhark, but the old English rune poem is for the Anglo-Saxon Futhark, mm-hmm. which includes almost all of the characters from the Elder Futhark and just expands on it. Hmm. So he was able to take that work and the corpus of inscriptions in Elder Futhark and figure out what decipher the meanings of those Elder Futhark mm-hmm. characters. Gotcha. That's very interesting. Yeah. it's a, He did a lot of great work. Whenever we talk about people using runes for divination and stuff, I almost exclusively hear about the Elder Futhark. Do people still use the Younger Futhark? People do use the Younger Futhark and the Anglo-Saxon Futhark. You see the Anglo-Saxon Futhark used mostly by people who practice Anglo-Saxon heathenry specifically. Ah, gotcha. You see the Younger Futhark used very rarely. The Elder Futhark is the most popular right. for divinatory purposes. Right. Which is hilarious considering Didn't it was... start it, out that way. Right. It was, the, <laughs> it was the much older one that we lost for a good long time. Mm-hmm. And then the Younger Futhark was the one... That that was maintained up to the 16th century, which was when runology as a study mm-hmm. came into existence, which was an which was a branch of philology in German studies right. to study the structure of the runic alphabet. So runologists in the 16th century picked up the study of runes at a time when it was declining, but still extant. Hmm. So technically speaking, the runic alphabets never died. They were okay. always in active use That's up until the point they became actively studied. So Interesting. We, yeah. So yeah. the younger Futhark, we never lost continuity on. It was just the elder Futhark. Yep. That's very cool. So we'll transition now to Oum history. Good. I want to hear. I'm interested. <laughs> Since so, you have done the history of the Oum? Since you're the Oum person? He, was, he took a nap. <laughs> the Oum is the Irish alphabet, and it's sometimes called the, the Beth Louis Fern. Right. Because that those are the first three letters of the Om alphabet, as it's used in divination. There's another, I think it's Bithlith Nam, when it's scholars who are mostly talking about, because gotcha. they believe that's the original order. Gotcha. So academics believe that's the original order of the mm. Om characters. Mm-hmm. But so that's a 4th to 10th century, when you find most of the corpus of Om inscriptions. It was mostly carved on wood. There are much fewer stone inscriptions. There with are Om. some. There are some, yeah. yeah. But they were mostly... 
they were landmarkers. Yeah, they, they were, were landmarkers. Like, this road goes this way, and this road goes this yeah, way. Yeah, or again, personal names. Right. Saying like, here's this is my land because a lot of the Om's inscription corpus is on wood, and because some of the Om characters correspond to phonemes that were not in use in the fourth century. There's a theory that it may have originated as early as the second or first century. Right. There's another theory that the Oum alphabet may have been influenced by contact with the Norse because the the characters that it contains but does not have phonemes for are characters that the Oum has phonemes for. Right. So there's a theory well, they that probably maybe did exactly. some trade. <clears throat> um so there's a theory that there was Well there was also that whole invasion thing. Well yeah. there's that you know, too. Later. Yes I Viking Age. <laughs> yeah. We're talking early migration period. Yes. There's various theories on where those characters came from, whether they're remnants of older sounds that had fallen out of the language by the time we have evidence of their existence, but were part of the language at the time that it was devised. And then the Oum just wasn't revised in the same way that the Futhark was. So like there was not a younger Oum. There was just the Oum. Right. So something interesting about the Irish alphabet about the Oum is that although it is now known as the as the tree, tree alphabet, alphabet. Mm-hmm. they were not all originally trees. Nope. Is that a, a, down to that one guy again? It's not completely down not to him. Not completely, but so, close. So there was a text used for learning the alphabet called the Briatha Rogan, mm-hmm. which was a series of kennings and mnemonic devices for learning the alphabet, like the rune poems are. Mm-hmm. There, in the medieval period, was a codex that attempted to explain mm-hmm. the kennings of the Briatharogam. Mm-hmm. Because the first three or four letters were evidently trees, the medieval authors believed that all of the letters were intended to gloss as trees. Oh. So glossing is a language phenomenon where one word is substituted for another word. Mm-hmm. So the medieval authors believed that like riz, which means red, was a gloss for the elder tree. Okay. So, and the medieval authors like say in the text, the translations of these are not trees, but we believe that, that they the mean trees, trees. Right. Or things of the wood. The medieval authors believed that that was the case. And then, making matters infinitely worse, Robert Graves came along. Oh, Robert <laughs> Graves. So much, so much we must lay at the feet of, at the Robert, feet of Graves. Robert Graves. Yes. <laughs> Robert Graves confused this matter substantially. He subscribed to the work of one of his contemporaries who did not agree with Robert Graves' <laughs> interpretation of his work, which is often the case with Graves. <laughs> But he believed that the trees corresponded, of the own, corresponded not just to the letters, but also to mm. the months in the calendar and to different types of seasonal magic. So that's how he came up with the tree with calendar. The tree calendar was out of the tree interpretation of the Om gotcha, alphabet. Gotcha, gotcha. And he just smooshed all these things together. Yep. And we still use it today. We still use it today, <laughs> yes, as a divination. <laughs> so there are actually some groups that do their own interpretation by way of the Briatharogam, which is the original kennings, including things like Ruiz means red, not elder tree, right. so, which gives mm-hmm. it a different 
connotation, a different context, right? And there are some groups that are just like, you know what, Robert Graves is embedded in this thing. We're just going to take the Robert Graves divination system and call it a day. And I think we should also define the word ken means understand. So it would be understandings, right? Kennings are actually, I see where you're getting that. Ken from Old English does mean to understand or to know. Right. But a kenning Mm -hmm. is a specific linguistic trick, essentially a a poetic trick in Norse-derived languages. It is the substitution of a poetic phrase for a name or word. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And that's why I asked for a definition. Yes. (laughs) Because <laughs> I figured there would be people who did not understand just as I was misunderstanding the use of that word. It's because uh, they have the same root. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's what I have for history. And then witches' like runes are modern. Well, that's the thing. Um, in my reading, what I have come to understand is it is a modern invention. They think it's probably sometime in the early, you know, it's sometime in the mm-hmm. 20th century. But nobody's really exactly sure who when, came up with who the first came one. up with the first set of pictograms for the witches' runes. They are probably, you know, when you look at them, you figure they're probably some ideas derived possibly from the, the Futhark or the, the OM, but, or just taking ideas and concepts from divination. And making pictograms. Possibly even tarot. Yeah. And, and probably more likely tarot. More likely. Yeah, and, um, and just then creating a pictogram for that concept. Right. Although they did and definitely create. take at least two was. Yeah, that's what, there's there's a couple of them uh-huh. in here that that could very well have been borrowed from from the from elder Futhark. That's yep. why I mentioned that nobody's exactly sure where they it came has from. An, it has an anonymous original yeah, author. It, it is a, at least a 20th century, yeah. uh, sometime after Gardner, obviously. Yeah. So probably sometime in the 70s or 80s, maybe somebody came 80s up with seems it. 80s is probable. Yeah. yeah. But it's actually they're very effective, and uh, it's a, a really good way. A lot of people think it's an excellent way to learn memorization. Mm-hmm. of runes, and then you can graduate on to Futhark if you have trouble memorizing the Futhark or the Oum. These are a little I, bit easier to yeah, grab the concepts because they're pictograms. Rather than letters. Exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. they're all little pictures, but they represent a concept, and once you understand that concept, it, they're much easier to, to work with. Mm-hmm. And then that gets you going into the whole casting of runes, and then you can graduate on from there. Right. I'm not saying that you would have to go on from there. I mean, right. they're, they're very very effective just in and of themselves. And there's many ways that you can use them. Join our Tiger or Laura Driver for the music of Aqua Girl. Aqua Girl is an indie pop musician with a very chill, listenable synth tone married to lyrics that are by turns hopeful and honest. All of Aqua Girl's tracks have their charms, but Oates suggest Winter Ritual, a mellow, poppy, instrumental track off Aqua Girl's new EP, How to Disappear, tutorial. New? New. You can find Aqua Girl at aqua-girl.bandcamp.com. There are four new Aqua Girl tracks. Yeah! Yeah. We love Aqua Girl. It came out January 1st. Yes, that is fabulous. Yes. It's time for Oats Stone Corner! Very nice. So today I will be talking about azurite. So azurite is a one of two copper carbonate minerals. The other one is malachite. It is a deep blue color. Sometimes you see it in a in a slightly paler shade, but mostly it's a azure colored. 
that is the description of azurite is the deep blue azure color. Hmm, that makes sense. It is a soft stone, so it's a 3 to 0.5 to a 4 Mohs. So it's not the softest stone, but it's quite soft. It's also brittle, so it breaks very easily. Mm-hmm. It's not very stable in the open air, so when it is exposed to air and sunlight and weathering in general, it is typically pseudomorphically replaced with malachite, it weathers into malachite. And this is actually an interesting feature of azurite because because it's such a deep blue color, it was used as a pigment for a while. As a pigment, it looks very similar to lapis lazuli ultramarine and is sometimes uh, mistakenly identified as lapis lazuli. Mm-hmm. Although it does not have like the pyrite inclusions that lapis lazuli has. Because azurite is not stable the way lapis lazuli is, Pigments made with azurite weather over time and become greener as it weathers into malachite. Hmm. Interesting. So if you see, like, Renaissance paintings where, like, the Madonna's clothing, which is usually traditionally painted in blue, mm-hmm. um, is green. it has a greenish tone, mm-hmm. that's because it was almost certainly painted with an azurite pigment instead of a lapis lazuli pigment because they were often confused, sold, confused or sold interchangeably, and it has over time weathered into malachite. Gotcha. So there's not a way to restore that color, hmm. the original deep blue color of the right. azurite, because the azurite has been replaced by malachite. Gotcha. Yep. Azurite is, it's a good water stone. It does the things you kind of expect water stones to do. So it's creative and it's mm-hmm. good for accessing emotions and that kind of thing. But it's a very unstable and weak personality for a stone. Mm-hmm. Most stones have pretty like stable personalities. Azurite mm-hmm. does not. It is a very, very, best way I can describe it as a weak personality. Flighty? No. Just soft. Soft, gotcha. It's, it can be difficult to connect to. When you do connect to it, it has, it's, it's not one of the like punchy stones. It doesn't have a, a strong presence. Mm-hmm. And you often find azurite combined with malachite mm-hmm. as a stone that's called azure malachite mm-hmm. because it's either in the process of weathering into malachite or they grew together in the same sediment mm-hmm. and intermingled. When azurite is combined with malachite, it is on the one hand stabilized by malachite, so it has a stronger presence, but it is overpowered by malachite. Okay. So it adopts a lot of malachite's personality and traits. That's not necessarily a bad thing because malachite is very bold and brings a lot of oomph. And so if you need malachite properties but you want them gentled, uh, azure malachite might be better for you. Yeah, it says it's submissive. That's that's exactly the right way to describe it. Azurite is submissive to malachite and it adopts the the traits and properties of malachite when they're in combination. It softens malachite, but if you find uh, specimens of azure malachite, you are getting mostly malachite's mood and personality and qualities rather than azurite. Does it soften malachite? Yeah, it softens malachite's intensity, Mm. um, but it adopts that personality. Interesting. Yep. So that's it for Oats! Stone Connor! But what 
I did want to talk about the witches' runes a little bit, even though, as I said, they are a modern device. Oh. They're very useful. There's 13 of them in most sets, although you can also see them in 10 and 8 sets. Mm-hmm. Or you could use them that way, and I'll explain why someone oh. might want to use them as in a set of 10 as opposed to a set of, of 13. 13. But they have the different pictograms on mm-hmm. each one. There's a sun, a moon, what is called flight, which are little birds. Little little wing shapes. Little wing sa- shapes. Like the seagull shapes you yeah, like to draw as exactly. a kid? Yeah. Rings, which kind of reminds me of sort of like interconnected rings. Mm-hmm. Romance, which is a kind it's, of trick tri- tri- Woman. Which mm-hmm. is a Y. Man. Which is T-Was. <laughs> Harvest, which is a basket with grain. Yeah, that's the messiest symbol. I think mm-hmm. there could be a better one for that. Yeah, there probably could. Uh, there's crossroads. There's waves. Star. Scythe and I. Mm-hmm. And each one of those connects to a different idea, a different concept. You can, some of them are very, very much connected to what you would um, consider a, the tarot card meaning. Right. Um, so you Like can, the sun and the moon. Like the sun and the moon and that kind of thing. And the star. Exactly. And you can cast them in, in various ways. You can do a complete throw, so without looking at them, you can int- focus on your question, mm-hmm. throw them all out, and then whichever ones are turned over and you can't see the pictogram on it, mm-hmm. or they fall on the floor, you can either count those as part of the uh, reading, or you can discard them. Mm-hmm. I personally would discard them, mm-hmm. and just go with what is visible, mm-hmm. and then discern your reading from whatever patterns, what seems to be connected. Right. And what, what things are close what to things each are other. close to each other, that kind of thing. You can also do them in a full future throw. So whatever is in the center would be what's present, whatever's further out would be future, okay. that kind of thing. You can do a single rune draw, obviously, on a question. You can do three rune draws, which could be past, present, future, birth, life, death. And then you just read them based on how each picture interprets together. Right. So, for instance, um, your father, before we uh, were doing, you know, before we get, began setting up for the recording, I decided to do just a little quick rune reading and pulled out two, and one was a man, and one was a basket, the harvest. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, been seeing a lot of abundance lately in your job. So that's right. how I interpreted it. That's how it goes. That's, you know, <laughs> that's pretty it's much. that simple. It's that simple. <laughs> And But this is the thing about the witch's runes. Because of the man and woman symbol, Mm -hmm. it does tend to be, your readings can be, just like with Lenormand, very binary. If you want to not have to have that binary inclusion Mm -hmm. in your reading, you can knock it down to 10, Mm -hmm. take out the man, the woman, and the romance symbol. Ah. And then you use the interconnected symbols for all relationship, like love, the rings. romance. Yeah, the rings. Use that to discern all of your love, relationships, marriage, any of those types of... Gotcha. And then you just work with 10 runes instead of 13. Okay. And that's... Because you can work with you can work with eight, ten, or yeah, thirteen. That's a nice. As that's a, a nice standard. hat. So the witches' runes, while they're very good, they're very easy to pick up and mm-hmm. work with. They can be a little binary. So if that's something that bothers you, you there are ways around it. It's time for Queen's Garden Gems. So you get to hear <laughs> me talk a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, we're here. We're here. So I'm going to talk about geranium today, and the, the flower. Yes, the flower, but the. Ger- Flur. 
But I want to make a distinction because the geranium that I'm speaking about today is geranium maculatum, not what you normally find in pretty much every grocery store, every nursery. So it's and not what, the flower I'm thinking What of. most nope. people think of as geranium, because what most people think of as geranium is actually pelargoniums, and they are a native of Africa. Hmm. And they have been cultivated, and their botanical name is geranium. geranium. How do I tell them apart? Here's how you do it. Geraniums that I'm talking about, the geranium maculatum, they're actually a native to North America. They are a wildflower. They tend to bloom. They start blooming in late spring and go all the way into autumn. And they have five petals, and they range in color from pink to purple. Cultivated ones might look a little different or because they've been hybridized. But that's what the wildflower looks like. Mm -hmm. They make great ground cover. They can grow in the sun, although they do prefer the shade as long as they can grow. And not one of those tall flowers. It can be though. That's the thing. In its natural in out. Like in the wild, it can grow up to two feet. But so you if could have like a whole field of geranium. Exactly. If you wanted to plant it in your garden, you can actually it'll spread as as a ground. As a ground. Interesting. Yeah, and and make like mounds of flowers. Hmm. Interesting. It's very interesting. And now um, is that like so like English ivy? I know has two phases. It has a, mm-hmm. a young phase where it does the spreading thing and an adult phase where it does the growing up and making flowers mm-hmm. thing. Is that, is that the same thing with That's essentially kind of what goes on with wild geranium, which is essentially what we're dealing with. Geran- even after it's the, the geranium maculatum, it basically, it starts its it starts its growth. It's the spready thing. Exactly. Then once it blooms, it stays blooming for quite an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Then once it dies, explodes basically and sends its seeds everywhere. And propagates more. Gotcha. So, if you so have it, those exploding plants. Exactly. So, I'm into exploding me plants. Too. I'm just gonna say, like the the head, the the head of it. Just unless you, I like an exploding. Plant. You can wildcraft them if you find them in the wild, mm-hmm. but you can grow them from seeds. They are very easy to transplant. You grow them in a in a pot for about six weeks indoors, and then you can transplant them outside. Mm-hmm. Again, they do like shady spots because they're used to being on, in uh, the in, forest under canopies. Under right. canopies. Yeah. But so not a direct sun plant. They not no. But they can be if you keep their water, if you if keep you it well, well. Yeah, they just gotcha. need to have moist soil and kind of a loamy soil gotcha. to so grow. They're going to need more attention if they're, they're going to need soil. more attention if they're in a sunny spot. So I do recommend more of a shady, like around a tree. You know how people like to put mm-hmm. plant flowers around a tree. Yeah. These geraniums are, you know, actually really good for that. They do have five petals. They kind of resemble sort of a wild oxide daisy. Uh They just don't have as many petals. They just have the five petals. And they range, like I said, anywhere from a light pink to a dark purpley color with these five petals. They look very different from what you would see in a store under the name geranium. So I encourage you to go onto Google and I want you to Google Geranium maculatum in the image, and then pelargoniums. Wild geraniums are a beautiful little flower. They're they're everywhere. I when I saw the picture of it, I was like, wait, that's I've seen these, these, but that's not what I had in my garden. (laughs) So I learned something new today when I was doing all this research. As far as magic is concerned, they're wonderful for love. They can attract happiness. 
They encourage conception and successful pregnancy. So anything having to do with that kind of healing work, mm-hmm. um, they're the they're a wonderful. Actually, can you eat them? Wild geranium, geranium maculatum, mm-hmm. can be consumed, but do your research first because Which it parts? can it can the the blossoms. Okay, they can be made into a tea and things like that for various ailments. But do your research first. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can actually get the seeds. I checked. You can buy these seeds. You can grow them, plant them in your garden. Just you Pick one it, of those wildflower gardens. Yep, yeah, exactly. They attract butterflies. Nice. They also attract moths. So you want to be careful of that if you if you don't want moths and you know getting into your home. But they do they do make a wonderful addition to a, a butterfly garden. They're just a beautiful little plant, very versatile, and I recommend people give them a try. I'm going to get some seeds and grow them <laughs> this year because I thought I had actual geranium and I had false geranium. I had false geranium. <laughs> <laughs> I had what most people get, and they have, and those geraniums have their own properties. Mm-hmm. You know, their their own right. things that you but can use not them wild for. Geranium. But they're not wild geraniums. They're not the North American version. So I recommend people give them a try because they're actually really pretty. A very sweet plant. So that's it for Quinn's Garden Gems. That one was very nice. Thanks. A slight bit of vibrato. A little in vibrato there. in there. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You, you, you jazzed it up. Yeah. yeah. Um. You want to tell us about Ohm? No. You have to. Okay. The Ohm, which is actually not the name of the alphabet. No. Right? So that's the... The Beth uh, Lusnin is actually the... Same as Futhark. It's the, right. the yeah, first it's few the letters. First, it's and, the first three letters. And the same as alphabet. <laughs> Correct, yes. So Ohm is just the form of the letters or scripts. So it's how they're drawn. Mm. Oh. That's, that's what the Ohm is. I always wondered about that. They actually do stand for letters. Right. If you, oddly enough, go to Wikipedia and look it up, it will actually show you... Transliteration. Transliteration oh. between Ohm and the, uh, the Latin, Latin alphabet. alphabet. Correct. The one um, we use. Right. There is also a picture on here of a stone from the Isle of Man. Right, that has... That some... has the right drawings on it, so that you can get a, a good representation of what that looked like. There's also there, some... Ohm is really interesting, because they're almost all straight lines. They like branches yeah, off of them. They are actually all straight lines, basically. They either go from center to the left, or center to the right, mm-hmm. or all the way across. That's the branches. Or diagonally mm-hmm. across. And from, always on a vertical stave. Correct, yes. Always on a vertical stave, because then you know which way they're going. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the vertical stave, you don't know whether they're going left or right, and that changes the meaning. Yep. Interesting. Because, like, yeah. one branch left and one branch right are different letters. Correct. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. So, like, one branch right would be the letter B, but one branch left is the letter H. So, if you don't have a vertical stave going down the middle, you don't know which is which. You don't know which one is which. And there's also the branch that goes all the way through. Yeah. And that's an A. You have to write OM very carefully. Yes. Yep. And so, I use it primarily as a divinatory Mm -hmm. practice, and I do it probably the weirdest way ever. (laughs) um, Because it's it's devised by car. By intuition. By intuition. Mm -hmm. You did not look up how people usually do runes. Nope. Did not. Or or, Uh, or, or own readings. So he's not even sure. Right. But it works for me. For him. Yep. So what I do is I include them all in a bowl, mm-hmm. and, and his are you're on, they're on wood. They're yep. on wood. Yep. So they're um, they were actually made by the magical druid mm-hmm. out of Columbus. Yes. Come clink Ohio. Them, come clink them at the mic. As were my witch's runes. Yeah, the witch's runes were also from the magical the magical druid. druid. 
which is Michael Dangler. If you have not checked out his shop, The Magical Druid. Very skilled. Uh, there is, he has an online. Mm-hmm. You can get all that kind of stuff there too. QQ just got their stuff there. So, yeah. but, so I really like them. So what I do is I put them all in a bowl mm-hmm. and then I don't pay attention. I just kind of move them around in the bowl and somebody asks a question and whatever happens to be in my hand at that time is what, is what I pull. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it can be anywhere from three to, I think I've had 10. You got 10 for me once. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, and then I just, I base it off of somewhat what the generic meanings are mm-hmm. and somewhat intuition. Yeah. Um, the, the generic readings do help me to get a, a good guideline. Right. Forum. And the, the generic standardized meanings are based on the Robert Graves trees, I think, is the one you have? No. Um, so, well, I do have all the trees down here. Mm-hmm. And your little cheat card. Yeah, my little cheat card for it. But, like, birch, for instance, or beef would mm-hmm. be new beginnings or purification. Well, that's not necessarily a birch thing. No, but it's associated. It, those are the associations, associations that have been made to it. Gotcha. So, yes. In this case, yeah, I guess it's Graves... Gravesian. <laughs> Gravesian. That's a good way to describe it, yeah. The good thing is, is that I just use that as kind of the beginning and then go off of intuition past that. Mm-hmm. Rabbit made an interesting comment. Yes, What's Rabbit that? says, I was taught that they were made of straight lines because it's easier to carve into stone. That's probably part of the reason. That's the yep. same reason that um, the Futhark is made up of mostly angular shapes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. That makes it's sense. It's just easier to do. Oh, something also interesting about Om is that when you're writing with them, you can just create a single, very long vertical stave. Yep. And write the letters, the the crossbars, all the way down that stave, and that makes a sentence. <gasps> right. That's fabulous. Yeah. yeah. So but, so so a, but, a word or a sentence could just be one extremely long vertical stave. Oh my god, that would be great for an incantation, though. Yeah. But that said, there's no space. Yeah. One. There's no space. So there's no. You there's have no to way kind to... of know when the breaks are to to yep. know how oh, to divide up the still. words. Yep. But still, that would be great. Seriously, I'm like, ooh. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's that, pretty neat. That's um, pretty cool. And then the word oom comes from potentially two different places. Okay. Give me the etymology. I love that shit. So the, the legendary accounts of them mm-hmm. is, is where these are. So one is it comes from like the 14th century medieval Irish folklore mm-hmm. that it was first invented after the Tower of Babel. Mm. Um, along with the Gaelic language by the legendary Scythian king named Phineas Farsa. That's one of them. That makes sense as medieval origin. Correct. And the other one is that Oum tracks back to the god. The god Oum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who is known as Celtic mythology, the god of speech and poetry. So it would make sense that he would have created an alphabet. Yes, it does make sense. Logical. Right. I like that one. Yeah. I accept that one. <laughs> I have spoken. So there, there's not a specific um, myth about him doing that, but... It was apparently the first message to be quote-unquote written uh-huh. by the god were seven bees on a birch, which was a warning to Lou, meaning your wife will be carried away seven times to the other world unless the birch protects her. In that so, case, I would think that birch is protective symbol. And, yeah. and that's why birch is actually, because it was originally carved on a birch, at least according to... So, but I would think then that, that Baith, Birch, the, that first letter would not mean like new beginnings. It would mean like protection, protection from right. evil forces. Yep. <laughs> yep, exactly. So there is a In Labor Oum, which is the Book of Oms, mm-hmm. or known as the Oum Track, which uh, they have dated. What's the earliest uh, attestation for it? 
1390. Okay. So, so 14th century. Yeah, 14th thereabouts. century thereabouts. Yep. And it has about a hundred different scales or variants of secret writings of Oum. So like different shields, different, you know, all basically magical things that you could do by right, writing Oum right. from the 13th century. So feel free to uh, download that because it's open source. Because it's from the 14th century. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. No copyright on that no shit. No copyright on it century. all. So. <laughs> Yeah, so, and Oum is not at all binary. There's no male, right, there's, female, yeah. there's nothing. Oh, see, I like that. That's yeah. cool. Then yep. you don't have to do a hack like I did. Right, right yep. <laughs> It, no it allows you needed. right. It allows you a lot of flexibility. That's cool. In it, yep. And so. I would assume the same of the Futhark. No, I mean there's a there's a rune that means man, but it means mankind. Mm. <laughs> so it could be humankind. That's what it means. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. means it means humans in general. It's manas. That's it. That's it for Leon. Well, yeah. then I think we should do cars, feast, table. Okay, this is going to be a very odd Cars Feast table for people. All right, you all ready? They're all happy over there with the food. All right. Food, food, food. Here you go. Who needs plants and stones? They want food. You need four sticks or 452 grams of unsalted butter. Cool. Not cold. Just cool. Not room temperature. Cool. Somewhere in that in-between mm-hmm. thing. There's you an need ideal spot. Two cups or 440 grams of granulated sugar. White sugar. That's a lot of sugar. That's One of teaspoon sugar. of salt. Two large cold eggs. So those should be cold. Yes. Cold, yep. cold. Yep. Do not room Do temperature s- those eggs. Correct. Straight out the fridge. Yep. One tablespoon of vanilla and or the flavoring of your choice. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm, and nice. six cups or our 768 grams of all-purpose flour. Mm-hmm. Nice. So can anybody guess what the hell we're making? <laughs> Finn wants his flavor to be whiskey. Ooh, yes. Maple is suggesting yeah. cinnamon. Yep. That's a good one. So basically, we are making sugar cookies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you're going to preheat your oven to 325 degrees. You're going to line your baking sheets with parchment paper. Listen to me carefully. Parchment, people. Line your baking sheets with parchment paper. In the bowl of the stand mixer with the paddle attachment. Everybody listen. This is all important to this whole concept. In the bowl of a stand mixer with the paddle attachment, add your cool unsalted butter, your sugar, and your salt. All right? It must be cool. Okay? It must be unsalted. These are important things. Turn your mixer on the very lowest setting it has. Okay? Because we don't want any air in the dough. Right. We want it to incorporate very slowly. And you don't want to break the whisk. Right. So that's why the pattern. You're, right, yep. <laughs> so you want to mix it until it starts to incorporate itself. Then you want to add your two cold eggs and your flavoring of choice. And again, cold eggs do matter. Okay? Again, turn your mixer on the lowest speed. Let it incorporate until it almost looks like it's lumpy or maybe even curdled. That's okay. That's what That's it's supposed the to look like. Yep. Look. Scrape it all down and then you add your flour to it. And again, you turn your mixer on the lowest setting and you blend it until it all comes together. All right. You're then going to lay them out on the parchment paper and you're going to take your incredibly cool and you're going to do them about three inches of an inch thick. Okay. All right. Three-eighths of an inch inch thick. Yep. Okay. So just under half an inch. Correct. The dough, that is. Roll them out. And then you're going to use your cookie cutters that you're going to buy on Etsy at Bakerology. Yes. Because if you have not seen Bakerology on Etsy... You need to because there's probably 20 pagan ones, but then there's a shit ton of other funky cookie cutters. So you want them. You would want them. Yeah. You definitely want them. They're very cool. 
So the cookie recipe for this is really for the cookie cutters. But the reason why I'm telling you to do the cookies exactly like this is because it's so that, easy to fuck up a sugar cookie. Well, mm-hmm. these are non-spread sugar cookies. Ah, so, so that once you, get you the good right, so once you shape. do your cookie cut and you bake them, they're gonna turn out looking like you did with your cookie cutter. They're not gonna, they're gonna not pop gonna up. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna correct. Yep. Nice. You're gonna place your dough on that parchment paper. You're gonna cover the cookie sheet and bake in your preheated oven for 10 to 14 minutes. That's it. Wow. Yeah. Cookies usually don't take long. Yeah. You don't really want them to turn brown. You still want them to be kind of whitish. Kind of when you pull them out. Yeah. On the edges. Yep. In the bottom. Move them onto a cooling rack to completely cool, and then leave them at least one day before you decorate them. Oh, and so I would suggest cool? putting them. I would suggest putting them in like a Tupperware dish or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, on the bottom and on the top of them should be um, one layer at a time. No, um, paper towel. Ah. Because there's a thing known as butter bleed, Mm. so where butter bleeds up through the cookies, and so this will take care of that, so that you don't have it, and then you can decorate them as you choose. They're thick, they're soft, but they're sturdy, and they don't spread. And you have the definite approval of the hunters, because... Yes, they have all gone to Etsy, and they all love it. And our Darren (laughs) says, this episode is not sponsored by cookies. No, no. Nor by Bakerology. Nor by Bakerology. Bakerology, but definitely good, and we have several... (laughs) we got your cookies. (laughs) That's right. And uh, everybody who has gone to Bakerology so far is like, oh, yeah, this looks good. They have a full set of (laughs) Futhark rune cookies. Oh, yeah. They They don't. It's Ruinic Cookies. Ah. So there's another one on there called Ruinic Cookies that has a full set of Futhark. Yep, I have seen that. They do, however, at Bakerology, have Sleep Near. <laughs> yep, and they've also got like all the, oh, the moon the, in the different phases. They got the the goddess. They, I think they have a goddess of Willendor. Yep. I mean, there's they all got kinds a lot of cool stuff. stuff. Keep in mind, cool some stuff. of them are not safe for work. Right. Mm-hmm. So neither's our podcast. So mm-hmm. fuck it. But, um, but yeah. But don't look them up if you're on your work computer, right? Yeah. While you happen to be listening to this. Yes. That that do it for Carsby's that's that's table. it for Carsby's table. table. Yeah. Okay. Thanks to our tiger Nicole for introducing us to the Shamanic Vine, a metaphysical store in Kalamazoo, Michigan, offering crystals, aromatherapy, herbal supplies, books, and more. On Saturday, February eighth, the Shamanic Vine will be hosting Bonnie a certified hypnotherapist and past life regressionist, offering readings and insights. Find them online at shamansvine.com. Now you got to tell us some more about the food talk and how to actually fucking use them. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Elder food talk, we talked about its use as an alphabet. Now we're going to talk about its use as a divinatory tool. So we do know that the Norse peoples did some kind of divination by lots. We do not know that they used uh, any of the runes or, or the futhark to do it. We don't know exactly. We don't have a good description of it. I believe it's Tacitus who describes the Norse peoples as cutting limbs from trees and chopping them into lots and throwing the lots and divining the future by mm. casting of lots. Mm-hmm. And he claims that they did this for virtually everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but that's the only description we have of that kind of divination from the Norse peoples. So what we do now is we use the letters of the runic alphabet as symbols because they all have names. Mm-hmm. And we do know that those names were sometimes used to stand in for the whole concept in texts. Even in the medieval period, even in texts that were written in Latin, 
the writers would sometimes write the rune manas instead of writing the word mankind. Oh. Because they all knew it stood for the mankind, concept of mankind. mankind. Yeah. So they would just write the manas rune instead of writing out the Latin word. So we know that these meanings were widely known um, and that they were not just the literary production of the rune poems. They were associated with the letters. Gotcha. So we have attributed qualities and divinatory meanings to these runes by association with the words or concepts they stand for, sometimes derived from the rune poems mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes derived from other other sources like that don't directly refer to the runes but that talk about those concepts, mm-hmm. and sometimes just because there are 24 of them and diviners need things to mean something. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> there are 24 runes in the Elder Futhark. They are traditionally broken up into three eights, uh, that's eight spelled A-E-T-T. Actually, the A and the E are a conjoined letter, but that's hard to type. So <laughs> most people type it A-E-T-T. The eights are Fehu, Urus, Thurzaz, Anzus, Raiho, Kenes, Gebo, and Punjo. That's the first eight, sometimes called Freya's eight. Hylas, mm-hmm. Nauthes, Isa, Jera, Iwas, Perthro, Algis, and Sewillo. That's uh, the second eight, sometimes called Heimdall's eight. And Tiwas, Bercano, Ehwas, Manas, Lagos, Inguas, Dagas, and Othala, sometimes called Tears 8. And if you break them up into those 8s and you assign those 8s to Freya, Heimdall, and Tear, the some diviners use those subcategories mm-hmm. to, to break up the runes into sort of conceptual contexts. So Freya's 8 would have, the interpretations for those runes would have mostly to do with home stuff. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Heimdall's 8 would have mostly to do with warrior stuff. Mm -hmm. And Tyr's 8 would have mostly to do with rulership stuff. Okay. So that's that's how some diviners will break it down. Mm -hmm. There's also a concept in rune divination called Merkstave, Mm -hmm. which is basically the reversals from tarot. Right, so Merkstave is if the rune falls upside down, not so that it is presenting the blank face of the rune, but so that it is presenting the reversed face of the rune, the reversed shape of the rune. Some diviners will read that as the same way you would read a reversed tarot card. Okay, yeah. So as a complication or what I usually call a hard mode of Mm -hmm. the interpretation. Mm-hmm. I don't tend to read Merkstave, mm-hmm. but some people do. And like I said, there's no there's no historical evidence for how or if runes were used this way. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, people do rune casting by gathering up the whole lot and <coughs> dropping them, dropping them, them yeah, uh, and reading the the up facing runes in relationship to each other. That makes sense. And I believe that's how people normally do Ohm. Yeah, I'm just weird. <laughs> and then some people do draw individual runes one at a time and lay them out the same like way you would out do... Out of a bag. Yeah, the yeah. same way you would do, like, a tarot reading. Yep. You can do that. I prefer, personally, to drop them, but, you right. know, it's, that's a your mileage may vary situation. Looks like Captain Virgil has a question. Oh, I will be talking about the blank rune, Captain Virgil. Let's talk about that now. <laughs> so... So, Captain Virgil's question is, what are your thoughts on the blank rune? My thoughts on the blank rune are that it's nonsense. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Ode. It's hot trash nonsense. So, the whole concept of the blank rune comes from a guy called Ralph Bloom, who in the 80s wrote a book called The Book of Runes. Ralph Bloom is a Christian, 
I do not know his academic credentials. He's a Christian and he wrote a book about runes? Christian and he wrote a book about runes. He wrote three books about runes. And well, he, how does he parse that? He, Academically. He said, <laughs> no, he says God gave them to us. Well, already. Um, he talking about Odin or what? No. Nope. <laughs> He's talking about the Christian one. Oh, um, uh, yeah, fuck that. No, sorry. I have not read the book of runes, but that is where the blank rune concept comes from. And the whole reason he came up with the blank rune, which he claims represents a knowable divinity. The whole reason he came up with the blank rune is because when you print rune sets on ceramic, which his book comes out with a set of ceramic ceramic runes, when you print them on ceramic, they print in sets of five. Mm -hmm. They print it in sets of five. So He had a blank rune. He had a blank blank rune. Right. So he... Decided he needed to come up with a use for it. Oh my god. So he Seriously. did. Yeah. That's the whole reason the blank rune exists. It's not that it's. So why did pagans then in, include Because it? many people, their only exposure to the runes was through Ralph Bloom's Book of Runes. It's very, very popular. It's very widespread. It's very popular in New Age communities, not heathen communities. How bizarre is that a fucking Christian wrote a book about runes and it's what has been influencing people for yes. years. That is nuts. So that's where the blank rune comes from. The idea of a blank rune as as God's symbol or as the divine symbol is nonsense because there already is a symbol for divinity and for the Aesir in, in the runes. Yeah. There is a rune for that, so you don't need another one. Unless you're talking for the Christian God, apparently. Right. He needed his He input. needed one, yeah. He needed um, his foot. Yeah, so several people so, are typing right now. Several oh, people are typing. I love yes. that they're going. So, what? so, so the rune that that you can replace the whole concept of the blank rune with is Anzus. <laughs> you don't need it. So, as Captain Virgil says, they're going to throw theirs out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can keep the blank rune. You can keep the blank rune. Just don't use it in your readings. Use it uh, in case you lose one of your and runes. And then you can just. And then you can just. You can use the blank rune. You can draw on the rune you've lost. That makes sense. Could could you make your own rune? You know, whatever That's you what want it to be, kind of like a. That's what uh, our Darren did. Fuck. What's the, the a personal? No, no, no. Like uh, no, like um, apples, apples. No, or apples, apples, or the other, the adult version. Cards apples, against that, humanity. Cards against humanity. Yeah, where you write in. Your right, own. you write in your own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I so QQ actually <laughs> says I, I want to take my blank rune and draw Feihu onto it and use it as a charm. That's a good option. Oh, that's a good option. Um, you could also like uh, you could make a bind rune that represents something specific to you. Right. Captain Virgil says, we can't let this joke go. No. Captain Virgil says, cards against Christianity. <laughs> Sorry. We're, we're, uh, I have a feeling we're going to need to make that. Uh-huh. Add that to our list him, of shit. Don't get him started, yeah. please. Um, don't give him any more ideas. Something else you could do. <laughs> You're doing that one. Something else you could do oh. is you could, um, you oh. could mark the blank rune to represent yourself in some way, the same way that tarot cards sometimes have signifiers. Yeah. But that would not be a traditional rune, right? right. It would be mm-hmm. just a, a, a personal. An, it would be an ad hoc addition to, to a rune. I like, and it's so put like, that up in the UPG thing on the website. Yeah. If you yep. do, if you come up with something yeah. for your blank one, let us know what it is in the UPG thing. Can you put pictures in UPG? If you can't, I'll add it. Okay. So, yeah, take a picture of it and put it up in the UPG channel on Discord. Yep. And it sounds like several people like QQ and our Darren have used their blank ones for yeah. if they lose one or they want to personalize it. Or Yeah. That, that's that's about the only function the blank rune has. It. it does not mean anything. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, my goodness. 
a no answer at this time is what uh, Red and Raven is saying that it's you, been used you for. You could do that, sure. <laughs> I would say a no answer at this time is if all your runes fall face, face down. down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or outside the the reading space. Um, so what I usually do is I draw a Vegvisir, which is a bind rune from Icelandic manuscripts. Um, it's uh, I usually call it the Traveler's Bind Rune. Mm-hmm. So it's intended to be like a compass that makes sure you don't get lost at sea. Right, okay. Um, was its original magical function. Mm-hmm. Um, so I draw a Vegvisir, and I cast my runes on the Vegvisir and read whatever lands on the Vegvisir, on the, the different sun, staves the of the of the Vegvisir. Is that what I showed you the cookie cutter for yes. earlier? Mm-hmm. So there is a cookie cutter for that. The Get a Vegvisir cookie and drop runes on it and <laughs> then, then eat the cookie. <laughs> well, get the Vegvisir, get, get that and uh-huh. make that cookie and then get the rune cookie cutter. Uh-huh. And, and drop your rune, rune cookies and on then top drop of the, the rune ve- cookies on top <laughs> and then eat all of it. Yeah, just eat your whole reading. So, um, um, I, I don't know if you have this, but I actually have an OM app. Oh, yeah. That allows yeah, me to I do don't OM have a, readings I don't have a, on my phone. An OM, uh, a rune app, but I've seen some. Yeah, yep. there are some out there. Um, it me if there's a witch's rune out there, too, as probably, well. Yeah. App. And then I do have some suggestions if you're interested in picking up Elder Futhark. Um, I suggest Paxson's Taking Up the Runes. Uh, Diana Paxson's Taking Up the Runes is a great book. Introductory stuff on that. Uh, Thorson is fine. He wrote three or four books on the runes. There's nothing specifically wrong with them, but they're a little old-fashioned, and he's a little muddy with his spiritual elements. Right. Mm-hmm. And then if you are looking for an online resource, the most comprehensive online resource for runes is sunnyway.com. That's S-U-N-N-Y-W-A-Y.com. So something else I wanted to talk about with the runes is we do have a we have a mythological story of how we got the runes. And I'm not gonna tell it in full because this is not a storytelling episode. But but the gee whiz. (laughs) The origin of the runes mythologically is that so Odin's whole deal is seeking knowledge frequently at the expense of his own suffering or that of someone else. He's I don't not, mind his own suffering, but the someone else's, that, that's a little dicey. He's yet. not picky about who's suffering it is. <laughs> um, I mean, knowledge is good, Odin, but, you know. Right. Sometimes, you know, he kills someone to make the meat of poetry. Sometimes he does what he does for the runes, which is that he hangs himself... You've told me this one. ...on Yggdrasil, the world tree, and also props himself up by spearing himself Ow. with Gungnir, his spear, and hangs there impaled on his own spear for nine days, staring down into the well of Urder, which is at the root of Yggdrasil, where the runes live, ah. uh, trying to convince them, essentially, that he is worthy of knowing the runes. I approve this. Uh, so You have to suffer for exactly. your, your he, knowledge. Exactly. He has to suffer for his, for his wisdom. Suffer. The runes are pretty clearly, through this myth, in some way um, conscious. That's what you've always said about your runes. That yeah, that's well. This is something I picked up from. Um, this is this is like a, a revelation Odinson. that I picked up yep. from Saren Odinson, who I believe but, grandfather yeah, was Saren, taught by uh, uh, by Galina Kreskova and, yep. uh, and Raven Calder and that whole 
crew. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're recommending her book. Yes, Galina the... Kraskova's Runes Theory and Practice is a good book, yes. And that is who who Sarenth learned Sarenth, from. Yes. Yep. Learned from. So this hadn't occurred to me until I heard Sarenth give uh, a talk about it, but then mm-hmm. I went back and read the mythology and I was like, oh, yeah, fucking duh. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like Odin stares into the well and creates the runes. Right. Odin stares into the well and the runes eventually, after nine days, reveal themselves to him. Yeah, that's pretty intense. So the runes are spiritual beings, consciousnesses in their own right with their own power, and they make the choice to allow Odin to use them. See, that's cool. So when you interact with the runes... Traditionally, the Elder Futhark, but this probably also applies to the Younger Futhark mm-hmm. and the Anglo-Saxon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that the Elder Futhark is the oldest one, so it's like the most... I don't want to say it's the most potent one, but that is kind of my feeling. I think that's how most um, people seem to think. I mean, when people think of the runes and the Futhark, they are they, talking they about, are the elder about the Elder Futhark. Futhark. Um, and there is a certain a, a feeling of power about them. Yeah. So when you are using, and when you're working with the, the Elder Futhark, whether that's for divination or for rune magic or whatever, mm-hmm. you are dealing directly with the spirit of, the spirits of those runes. Mm-hmm. So you owe them something. Right. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. It's, so it's not the same as like when I do a tarot reading, I have just like, I don't, make offerings to my deck. My deck and I just have like a relationship where I read with them and they mm-hmm. tell me things and that's the, the that's nature the, of our relationship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that they are, I don't want to say tool, but the the quality of the relationship is that they offer this to me without needing anything other than my attention and use. Right, right, right. right. The runes are Norse spirits that require more work. And I think it seems to me like people don't really approach the runes, the Elder Futhark, no. with that kind of intention, that understanding. Yeah, uh, I see a lot of people using the runes sort of frivolously, um, and I see a lot, I think a lot of that is because they're either they're not heathens, uh, so they don't know the mythology of where the runes come from, or they are heathens, but they haven't mm-hmm. thought about what the myth implies. Right. So, like, if I were to, because I have in the past used runes, uh, like individual rune in spell work Mm -hmm. and things like that. But I'm wondering if I have done that inappropriately or if I have managed to somehow, because it's always related to the intention. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if I've somehow maybe unconsciously made that that bargain as a, you know, to ask that spirit to be an ally. Do you think that's what some people do? So our Darian says, Mm -hmm. if I do spell work with runes, I will ask the spirit of that rune to breathe into the thought form. Mm -hmm. Then I make offerings to the rune. I like that. I like, I'm going to start doing that if I continue to use runes in my spell work. Yeah, something Sarenth describes in, in in his classes class. is that the runes are very mercenary spirits. Mm. They are not so much here to make allyships mm. as they are here to do, do a thing. something for pay. Gotcha. So if you don't establish a payment for the rune, mm-hmm. my guess is it probably takes a payment some way or another. Some way or another. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's good to know. And if you're not aware of it, it's maybe not something you want to pay. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's good to, this is, this is one of those things where like contracts and establishing mm-hmm. the rules of Gebo mm-hmm. are, which is a rune also, um, are important to the process. Yes. yes. And I would say if you're going to convocation, 
Mm-hmm. Sareth is teaching his rune class yes. again, mm-hmm. and it changes, it changes every year. Yeah. So mm-hmm. go to Sareth's rune class. It's very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's important because, like I said, I did not understand this. Mm-hmm. I, I always thought of it as just another alphabet. Yeah, exactly. Just you another know, symbol. And because that's how it was taught to me, as another alphabet. That's how it's presented and in, you a can lot use it. of, in, in a lot of books. And, right. and you can use it as and alphabet. And so you I've used things it. in Futhark. Exactly. And so when I used it in spell work in the past, mm-hmm. it was would be as a, you know as a letter to right. symbolize part of my intention mm-hmm. like on a candle or on a piece of paper in a charm whatever you know but now i'm thinking okay now that i have this knowledge right. that it's more than just an alphabet i want to make sure i'm working in accordance with that new knowledge in accordance right. with those principles with those right. principles yep. mm-hmm. awesome yep is that it yep that's it that's all i got Are that's you all done? i got i think i'm pretty done i'm done are you guys done? Do you we, have any we, questions? We've done all the... Oh, QQ does say... What or, kind or, of offerings do you offer? I never okay. really thought about that with my runes. So, traditionally, when you bond with, for lack of a better term, a rune set, you blood it. Right. The best and most expensive thing you could pay to a rune is blood. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that is too expensive for what you're asking for, and you need to not overpay. That's an important part of this relationship. You need to pay appropriately. So blood is a, a drop of blood is if you're asking for something very expensive. Milk or water could be appropriate. Alcohol, yes, is uh, a lot of people will asperge the runes with alcohol. Whiskey, says Bill. Yeah. yeah. Um, hard, hard liquor. I would think mead would be very good. Mead would be appropriate. Yes, yeah. mead would be very appropriate. Ardaren meditates on them for long spans of time. So, yeah, spending a lot of time making contact. Yeah, so uh, a lot of it depends on the quality of the work you're asking them right. to do. Mm-hmm. I believe Sarenth uses alcohol. offers alcohol. Whiskey. Offers whiskey to his, whiskey to, to his set, mm. to his runes every time he does uh, divination with them. Yeah. So... Interesting. Yeah, I believe he he actually does whiskey and vodka. Yeah. I know he does whiskey. Yeah. So Those are the common ones. And if you're on the Discord and you want to know more, you can just pop over to the Around Grandfather Fire right. Discord. Yes. And Saren has his own channel in the Around Grandfather Fire Discord, so feel free to just go ask Saren that yeah. question. Let Absolutely. them know we sent you. Yeah. That's right. Let them know that three packs sent you over there. And we will be doing a joint yes. podcast, podcast with, with them, them again with all point. of us. And then I believe all three of us are going to be on their show at individual times. Right. Mm-hmm. So Chit-chat. coming up. Yep. yep. Captain Virgil asks, how long do you keep the offerings out and what do you do with them after? If I'm offering blood or water or whiskey or, or any kind of liquid that's not going to spoil, I put it directly on the rune and I just let it dry there. And then I clean the rune when it's... Dry. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. And I will say this because, you know, the the older runes and the OM, I don't feel that... Maybe it's because they're still pretty young. The witches' runes do not have that sense of... Spirit? Do you get that sense of a, of a spirit being involved in the OM? I do. Yeah? Yeah. And I think that's why when I pull, Do you think that's I get the, the spirit s- of the individual symbols? Or that's the spirit of Agma? Or or the spirit of the deck? the same, Or the spirit of the set? The same way I have like a, a spirit 
of my deck. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, the spirit of the set. Yeah, gotcha. so. I feel like at this point, at least for me, the witch's runes are still kind of in that tool, mm-hmm. uh, that toolkit kind of category. Right. Uh, because I haven't, I don't really feel a, a because they're pictograms, they're abstract concepts. Right. I, I don't really feel like they have that weightiness or that spirit that identity. Them, that identity. At least not for me yet. Mm-hmm. Is that, that may, because you don't work with them often? That's possible. Yeah. And maybe if I start working with them more frequently, right. I might develop be, that kind of right, relationship, relationship with, them. with them. So that would be interesting yeah, to check out, see. to see if something like that develops. If an, because if an awareness of that exactly, grows. Exactly, exactly. But uh, Billy's telling he misses us. Yes, we miss, we miss you, you too, too Bill. Bill. Oh, and I did want we'll to say. We'll see you soon. That's yeah. true. Soon yeah. enough. Just a couple of less, weeks. Less than a month. And we definitely want to say, um, check out Pagans in Need. Yep. Go to their website. Yes. They have a Patreon. And, yes. They have a Patreon. Bill, Bill said uh, earlier today that they have a Patreon now. Yep. So go so support them. Go support Pagans in Need. It's a very infor- important Charity and resource, they make sure that people who need food get food. And that is important, especially in this day and age. And then uh, for anybody who's going to convocation, we will be doing a three pagans and a cat meetup. Yes, Um, one night. One One night night. uh, in Kelly from Tree Wizard Creations Room. Um, We'll let you know what that is when we know. And you'll have mead. Mead! Yep, Yep. so, yeah, I guess. Yeah. All That's right. it now. Yeah. We can yeah. actually stop the recording. Well, I guess we're, we're getting to... Well, so we should, like, bring this to an end and not okay. just, just stop. All right, we have oh, to say, yeah. we have to say the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so Jeez. you can find us on Google. Yep. At just three, Google us. Or go yes. to 3com That's the number three. Pagansandacat.com. <laughs> we're on <laughs> all of the we social media. That. We did not We did that. not. We did not. <laughs> um, <laughs> we got the approval. We got the approval. Um, so, but yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Patheos Pagan yep. blog. Please yep. come and visit the blog. I try Should to get I gotta write another post soon. Yes, you do. Um, I try to get something up at least two to three times a week. So, um, I appreciate you guys reading it. And of course, read when Ode writes because that Once encourages Ode to write. Once a month only. <laughs> but, uh, we appreciate you coming and visiting us there. And yep. I'm, Really bad about getting stuff to YouTube. I'll try and get that updated soon. But you know, we're everywhere. We're, yeah. we're on all the things. Yeah, we're so Google us. Yeah. That's what. Yeah, that's okay. It so. just got lazy. It says, "Give us the posts. Give us the posts." <laughs> all right, stop all right. this thing. All right, well, all right. Just say goodbye at least. Goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com. 